Hey everybody, welcome to Blessed Child. So in this podcast, we are going to dive deep into my past, how it overlays with people's lives in Irvington, New York. So to understand this podcast, I should probably give some backdrop of why I was in Irvington, New York. And the long of the short of it is that I was in Irvington, New York because I was adopted by a woman who worked in Manhattan. And um, she was my comfort mom, or comfort, my dad's comfort blessing. So my dad married this woman as a comfort wife. Um, and it was just exactly, it was exactly that. She had a good job, and he had children, and they both comfortably wanted what each other had. So it was, uh, it, I guess it was an agreement. My mother, my stepmother, who I will interchangeably call mother because that's how I, uh, that's the only person that was like a mother, although it was very, very rough and difficult to get to that point. She did, she has grown into uh, one of the most spectacular people in my life. Um, But during this time, we didn't really know each other. So let's just go back. So my parents, my father and my stepmother met through the church. They got blessed. In when I was 13, because of all the money coming in, um, I, my stepmom was sending started sending me to real programs like GOP, Chumpyong, Camp Sunrise. But at the same time, uh, all of my parents were all emotionally unavailable, so it was a substitute for uh, a family, which uh, which which was the culture in the Moonies for me. And um, by the time I got to Irvington, New York, my dad uh, was emotionally unavailable as well as physically unavailable. Um, He got up and moved across country. And uh, I didn't really question that because that was also Mooney culture for for parents to disappear. Now, he didn't disappear for church reasons. He disappeared for his own reasons. But because that was so common in the church, I, I didn't really question And to paint the picture, she worked every day in Manhattan. I would drop her off at 8. I would pick her up at, I want to say, like 6.30 or 7. Um, And the rest of the time, I was alone. So when I say I had no parents at home or nobody at home, I didn't have any siblings or biological parents or even parents that really had a connection with their kid. Uh, At this time, we were strangers in in the same house, and, and the fighting was... Uh, it was very terrible because uh, the church uh, would butt, butt in and tell her how to raise me, but they weren't offer any help for how to raise me. So that was a lot of uh, stress for our, our relationship. By by the end of senior year, she had gotten into an accident uh, where she had a subdural hematoma and ended up in the hospital. I remember her being in the ICU room, looking at her unconscious in the bed with tubes coming out of her head and calling my dad and calling my family and begging for somebody to come come be with me and come be with her because I at at that point I didn't know she was going to die um, because that's how serious the uh, the brain injury was and uh, nobody came yeah my dad didn't come nobody from the church came and uh, I walked the streets of New York that night, and they were completely barren. I, I walked to Central Park, and I walked all over the streets, and uh, it was a very rare sight that there was absolutely nobody around. And um, yeah, that's how I felt. I felt completely 
there. And uh, she lost her job for a little bit for recovery. Uh, we lost our house. This is the end of senior year. I must have been 18, actually. Um, the church didn't offer to help, so I, so I, uh, I made it work, and I finished senior year uh, living out of my Jeep. Um, so, so when people say like I, I wasn't coming to class or uh, I was always stoned and I, I had some issues, um, yeah, that's what happened. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm living in my Jeep um, while Reverend Moon's mansions just sit there in, in wait for him. Um, if any Unification Church member is listening to this, I was 18 years old trying to finish high school in one of Moon's epicenters. He literally has mansions, plural, sitting on empty properties and nobody even bat an eye for me. But they were there to judge me for sure but nobody was there to help me. So I graduated high school out of a Jeep. And uh, yeah, that's part of this story. Uh, think about that. If you're still in the church, that is the culture of Reverend Moon and his followers. They would rather let a kid go homeless than help them when they're struggling in suicidal ideation, depression, and self-medication, as well as being completely abandoned by the parents that were picked by Reverend Moon himself. So with those heavy details out of the way, let's continue to the interview where I am talking with Kyle Sullivan, who is now a graphic designer in New York City, and Andrew, who grew up right next to Belvedere. We have so many stories uh, that we share, I split this interview up into two parts, um, so you'll in, you can listen to it this week and then next week. Let's get started. All right, guys, welcome okay. to Bless Child. This is going to be a super exciting episode. Um, I know I'm a little nervous, but thanks for having us. <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> Thank guys. You. <laughs> so, so let's lay down the context. Um, I'm interviewing two people I actually grew up with briefly in Irvington, New York. So Kyle, uh, you reached out to me after listening to the podcast and wanted to uh, share your perspective of things. And Andrew. That's uh, right. So so let's paint the picture of what we're going to talk about. This is Irvington, New York. I, um, I I went to the yearbook photo and I counted how many Moonies were in the school. It was about 10 to 15 to 20% in my graduating year. So Irvington, New York was pretty saturated. Yeah, it's interesting that you uh, did the count because I would be interested to see myself. Um, I know growing up, at least half my friend group was Moonies. Um, to what extent I knew what that meant um, was a little bit lost on me, especially as I was growing up. You know, you're a kid, you don't have that much perspective on things from other people. But I always knew growing up, you're a Mooney, you're a Mooney, and this is the non-Mooney. But we were all one homogenized friend group, especially in high school. Yeah, I I also did the, the exact same thing you did. I got the yearbook out and counted the movie <laughs> in in our grade. And it was the same like percentage. It was like 10 to 12 out of like, I don't, I think our grade's like 150, 170 yeah. or something. So, I mean, percentage wise, that's pretty large for like, you know, a small town and small high school like that. Yeah, like Andrew said, um, you know, by the end of high school, half my, you know, well, me and Andrew, same friend group, and 
our friend group was, you know, majority were Moonies. And yeah. Uh, yeah, and I feel like before high school, I had no idea who, you know, Sonia Moon was. I had no idea. I, you would hear like whispers, like growing up, like, oh, a cult lives in this town. But we had like no idea. Like, you know, not until I started becoming friends with you, Renee, and then, you know, um, all the other people became friends with, like, um, junior, senior year that, you know, I started doing my own research. Um, what? Into the Moonies. And uh, then I kind of started becoming a little bit obsessed and, uh, you know, understood the, the belief system and wow. all the things that you guys owned. And, and I, you know, I, I, we were talking just before we started recording about that uh, documentary I found on YouTube back in high school. So that was a big, um, you know, eye opener. Um, because at the end of the day, we were just all friends and the Mooney thing really didn't play that much into our friendships. Really, the, I feel like the most thing that st that stood out was that whenever we had to drop anyone off or pick anyone up, we would have to like pick them up at the end of the road most of the time, <laughs> or or drop them off like at the road. Like they did not want like their parents to see that like an outsider was was dropping them off. Um, I remember this standard very well. Yeah. Uh, so I really just wanted to pause that, pause it here to kind of let this marinate this story. So the standard was um, Moonies would get dropped off far from their house so that their parents could not find out who they were hanging out with. Just hearing that as a parent now, it's horrific. The amount of distrust, the amount of guilt and fear that second generation felt from their own parents. I would be devastated if my kids were hiding who they were hanging out with. The lack of transparency, the amount of shame and guilt, the lack of honesty that I see in this example, it really hurts my soul that second generation were so scared of the consequences of their parents finding out the simple details of who they were hanging out with, if they were secular people, if they were outsiders, um, because there was very real consequences. If you were found mingling too much with outsiders, or you had a girlfriend or boyfriend, or you just weren't doing the life course, your parents could easily and simply uproot you from your social circle, from your support group, from your network and everything and every, everyone you know and send you to something like Blessed Teens Academy or GOP in Korea or they could send you to a New Hope Academy somewhere in the United States and you could disappear. Um, so the fear is very real. It was a very common practice for Moonies to be kind of nomadic um, and it was pretty normal for parents to send you away and and we knew this so so this story really reflects that that very complex nuance and i don't feel like i i took the time to really marinate in what kyle was really saying when he revealed this tiny glimpse of information that is just so revealing 
about the level of control teenagers were coping with in Irvington and in Terrytown. And uh, I just think it's it's fascinating. It's sad. I really hope um, hope this this kind of hits the, the nail that uh, this is no this is no culture of ideal family. This is just this is just a lot of destruction in a high demand religious organization. Destruction of families. Dis- destruction of trust. Destruction of support. Destruction of honesty. And and a real distance between parents and second gen. Yeah. <laughs> but but before we go on, there's a couple of things I want to um, mention. So you were mentioning the Moon of the Moon Emperor of the Universe documentary on BBC that you saw on YouTube back in 2007. Yeah, 2007, 2008. Yeah. Okay, and I want to make it clear that I graduated 2008. Andrew, you graduated. Oh nine. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. So that that clears that up, and then. Um, yeah, we all lived in group, well, not group homes. So I remember a cluster of us living in the Crescent Hills apartment. Is that it? In Terrytown? Oh, you were in, was it Talleyrand? It was by Friday. Talleyrand. That's right. Yeah, I lived yeah, in Talleyrand. Yeah. There was a yeah. few of us that lived in Talleyrand because it was affordable, quote unquote, housing. Um, mm. And then a few of us lived in the Graysmere home. The, yeah, right. um, nobody lived in East Garden, but somebody lived in Belvedere. And there was a handful of us also lived on the main street. And I don't know how we came to acquire those homes, but there was a good handful of-, of, of Yeah, there homes. was a good amount of people on the main street. Yeah. yeah. So so I do know the history is that Reverend Moon invested in properties in Terrytown in the 80s and actually built condominiums. Um, so at, my dad was lured into investing in these properties. Uh, they thought that it was going to be a community investment and it would give back. Uh, when they started building the project homes, and I don't know which- I don't know which complex it is that the Moonies built and, and sold, but after they were uh, built, Bohe Pot came in, owned the project and said, okay, thank you guys for your, you're not going to be investors. Thank you for the donations, took those homes and oh sold my them. God. Uh, that's so, so not even surprising though. That's kind of stuff happens all the time based on, you know, some of the stuff you've mentioned in your previous episodes of the podcast. Yeah. Just bait and switch all, all day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Does that's how. still exist? So I'm going to stop that there. From my research, I cannot find out which homes or properties were built by, by the Unification Church in Terrytown. I know that it happened, um, but I can give you some more background about Bohe Pock. So Bohe Pock was swindling members of their money and it eventually caught up with him. So in 2004, the Eastern Seoul District prosecutor actually imprisoned Bohee Pak and charged him with financial fraud. He was millions of dollars in debt to various businessmen. The amount of money would require to make settlements for all the, the remaining creditors would have been about $5 million. I don't really know how much he owed, but I know that he could have paid it off with $5 million to make a settlement to various businessmen. And then you have to also think Reverend Moon left Bohee Pock in prison, even though he could have paid it off for $5 million. And Injun wrote a speech trying to pressure members to donate um, like $5 million to get her uh, father-in-law out of prison. This was like in 2005. So it's it's a very telling story. If you're in the church, it's something that you might want to brush up on just to see where uh, Reverend Moon's morals are, what the church really does with their finances, 
uh, how members are tricked and gaslit into believing certain things. It's, it's a very telling tale. The church swept it on the, under the rug and blamed church members. Um, they painted it as a story that Bohe Pock was ill-advised by Ill, ill-fated fundraising schemes um, introduced to him by some church members. And they, they painted it as Bohe Pock was a victim of international criminal scam artists in the church who defrauded him of all this money. And um, so that's how the church painted him. And a couple of his professional careers, he was the president and founder of Little Angels. He was the the inaugural chairman of Sunwa Educational Foundation in Seoul. He established the Sunwa Arts High School. He was the inaugural president and publisher for News World Daily, Washington Times, World Media Association. Um, he was also the inaugural president for Casa International, and the list goes on and on. So this, so the church is painting this chairman of of hundreds of businesses as somebody that's easily swindled by con artists, uh, church fundraisers, which is total garbage. Uh, this guy knew exactly what he was doing. You know, another super interesting aspect of Bohe Park, Bohe Park's prison sentence is he only spent two years in prison. He was supposed to spend a uh, much longer time in prison, but he spent two years and three and a half months, and he got out in November of 2006. Um, and this is this is a year after Injun Moon pleaded for the church to raise money to get Bohipok out of prison. But you know what significant item she and her husband, James Pock, Bohipok's son, sold? The same year Bohe Pock got out of prison? Yeah, Paradigm Hedge Fund. It's something to look into if you guys want to uh, dig deeper into the financial aspects and the, the interworkings of the, uh, the corruption in this church. That might be a good place to start. Um, there are some um, articles online about how James Pock sold Paradigm to Hunter and Joe Biden and how that um, led to a slew of some of the greatest financial uh, frauds in U United States history. And I'm not sure what the connection is, but uh, there is an underlying parallel of, of fraud, financial fraud. So I'm going to leave that mystery for another story. So I'm, I moved here in uh, like fifth grade. So okay. I, I didn't really get a sense of what was going on as far as the Mooney culture uh, until after a few years. And even then you're, you're so young. It's, it's not really, it's kind of lost on you what that means. Um, you know, you think about your own upbringing with religion and stuff. So I would went, to, I would go to church. Um, I would have my belief system. And then all of a sudden I was just like, they have their belief system. And that was the long and short of it. There was nothing, you know, negative about it. It was just differences. Um, and I could accept that. But I think the primary years of, you know, freshman year to senior year, you're, you're so impressionable, 15 to 18, you're just becoming a, a, a actual human, a full, you know, a full person. And then you start questioning like people's livelihoods, their, their childhoods, what, how they are, the way that they are. And then you start to peel back the layers. And so only throughout the years of high school did I start to realize, man, these are big differences, huge differences. But at the end of the day, we're all still friends. Um, and, and all those friends in the friend group also were different levels of buy-in, I want to say, for the church. Yeah. You know, Some people were just like, 
you know, F that church. I want nothing to do with it. But some people were like, I am fully committed, but I'm still in this friend group and I find value in your friendship and all that stuff. So it was interesting to see not only Moonies in your friend group, but the level of commitment to the unificationist church that many of them have. Yeah, that's yeah. really interesting. And I feel like when you're a kid, uh, internalized belief systems don't really make a difference. So you would see that bifurcation in high school, like you said, when you're starting to become like your authentic self. But then there's like levels of separation that happen because of the belief systems. So like, for instance, um, I got invited to go to Manhattan with, and I'm going to take this name out, uh, and his friend group. And I jumped on the train with them in Irvington. It took me two train stops for my internal belief system to kick in and be like, you cannot go to the city with these people. Like this, this secular people having secular fun and you are not entitled to this kind of interaction with secular people in that are not in the unification church. So there was a hand, there was like at least 10 of us going down for, I want to say St. Patrick's Day parade. Um, I got off, it was at Croton Harmon. It's a couple stops south of Irvington. Um, uh, Croton's like the last stop, so yeah, it would be right. you'd start getting into like Dobbs Ferry, Ardsley, the Heights. Yeah, it was yeah. Well, in my head, those those names were being called off. You are at Dobbs Ferry, and like the dread settled in, and I'm like, I'm oh doing gosh. something really bad. And <laughs> right when the doors were closing, I looked at them, and they looked at me. They're like, "What the fuck are you gonna do?" I ran out of the train. And the door shut and I was like, bye. And they have oh, no gosh. idea. They have no idea why I left them on the train that day. Um, and and so that was, uh, I must've been 17 years old, invited to go have fun in New York City with a really solid group of people. But in my Mooney brain, I filtered it as I'm going to sin. Like this is gonna be really bad. Um, so it's little things like that, that like, that, that like, dog collar around our necks of freedom is like something I experienced at, at that school because you guys are all pretty solid people like it's like economically and socially speaking everybody was really well off people had good parents they there was a strong religious base at Irvington mostly I saw Jewish yeah. and Christian yeah yeah and, yeah Catholic yeah Catholic Jewish um some of my best experiences were were with the Jewish community in Arvington because obviously I was hungry and I was uh, poor and I had nobody at home um so my Jewish friends after soccer would invite me back to their homes and, and feed me until like I was full and it was a really nice community that's good you're pulling more positive than uh negatives from the community because I never knew you were there for kind of a short time so your window of experience would have a lot of influence on your opinion on Irvington as a whole, but I'm glad to hear that, you know, you missed an opportunity with a solid group of people. They were a solid group of people. You got fed by people you did sports with. They were also a solid group of people. And I was fearful that, you know, I know that some parents in the community would just side eye Moonies and be like, wow, look at that weird group, or I don't understand them. So I'm glad you didn't have that experience of just like negativity and you have all these positive, uh, you know, stories to bring out from your time at Irvington. I mean, to be honest, I was there uh, 17, 18, and actually most of my negative experiences were with other Mooney parents because I was a fringe second generation. So so really my best experiences were with people outside of the church, like the counselors that took sympathy on us for being in a high control group or or, or uh, vice principal Dredi. Uh, D, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like, yeah, like I was constantly getting in trouble with the church just because I was, yeah, anyways. 
the long story. We don't have to get into it. Sure. Yeah, and and I um to to go back to like the the socioeconomic kind of situation of people of of church members um, compared to the rest of the Irvington community. Um, at, at least for me, that was probably like um, you know my first you know um, experience of having friends that weren't you know, really wealthy or, or well off. And that definitely gave me a whole new perspective. And, um, you know, and also most of you guys had, you know, a different attitude, a different upbringing that, that was, um, you know, so much different than everyone else that was, you know, had a very comfortable life in Irvington. And, you know, I, I feel like that contributed to, um, you know, our, you know, at least for me and, you know, other people that weren't in, in the church um, appreciated that aspect. You know, I could see Irvington being kind of uh, maybe intimidating because of that, but I mean, at least in our friend group, that was, I don't know, definitely a plus for me, you know. Yeah, and I remember you're talking about, like, kids would come to school with, like, Chanel backpacks, and I mean, the nicest cars. Like, what kind of cars were kids driving in high school? Just, the fact yeah. that they had cars was all right. 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 Like, <laughs> yeah, like mini Like geographically speaking, we're we're talking forty minutes north of Manhattan. With like, uh, my friends' parents were like brain surgeons or on Wall Street lawyers. Yeah. lawyers. These are the richest of the rich in in New York. So like, there was there was all of that, and that's what you're talking about. The people with the nicest competing with the nicest. I remember people living in mansions, literally dropping them off at, at mansions. So for backing on the socioeconomic data of Irvington, according to a 2017 census by Bloomberg, Irvington ranked number 54 as one of the richest places in America. And then I'm looking at Irvington's census population um, is as of 2018 was 6,000. 498 people so it's a very small very rich town as a little bit of a back background for what we are talking about and then the moonies were just trying to survive trying to get by i remember i shoplift just to fit in um a lot of us did we would we would go across the the, the river to the the big mall ppp mall and shoplift. yeah just to just to fit in like uh, just just to wear the the most like Hollister was like bottom of the barrel, like right. Everybody was wearing Hollister. Um, right. So yeah, I would go there and just steal enough clothes to to fit in. It was really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, it's funny that you would think like, okay, how am I gonna fit in? Uh, it's like, okay, let's get the same clothes as these people. You know, yeah. you just kind of face value, physical things. Like let's let's dive in by you know first, let's get the look, and then I'll yeah. have my in. You know, it's yeah. interesting how that works out. But then most of us did walk to school. So yeah, we were different, definitely different a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I remember my first experience, um, you know, involving myself in a, a Mooney situation. So I was with my friend, who I'm not gonna name their name, but um, he had a parent who worked for the church in the form of a security guard. So you named off all these places in Irvington that had, um, you know, different, properties and whatnot. So he lived on one of those properties and I lived right next to one of those properties as well. So we were essentially neighbors. Um, we would meet up to do what high schoolers do and drink. Um, but his 
parent who was the security guard would always know it was going on. Some, they had like cameras and all that stuff. Oh, so we would wow. play this game where we would drink in one place and then, okay, we see the car coming over the, over the ridge and we're like, okay, we got to pack up and go. So we pack up and we run to another part of the property and <laughs> be watching them looking for us, like flashlights yeah, going, yeah. picking up our empties, like yeah. might as well have had a dog out there tracking us. And then they, oh, yeah. and then they turn the car back on and they come around to where we were the second time. And then we just run back and way to a third place. And <laughs> that would be like the night. So we'd just be yeah. drinking and laughing at this guy's parent because he couldn't catch us like Nana Nana Boo Boo. And uh, so that I, was like my first experience of like getting one over on the church. Like, you know, he, he, it was him getting over on his parents, but I think overall it was him like basically middle fingers up to the church and what they stand for as well. There was definitely a little bit of underlying, you know, FUism going on as well, but uh, it was a funny time. Yeah, I have a I have a, a scar on my wrist. I don't know if you can see it, but yeah, um, I can see that. It it, it it's from Pretty good um, drinking in Belvedere one night, and um, you know, getting caught and running and jumping that uh that fence that's like Broadway, and oh uh, drunkenly trying to get over the fence. I fell the top, split my wrist open oh and fell on, on Broadway. So now we're all just really drunk. There's blood everywhere. And uh, everyone got home safe. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, yeah. But I mean, that that's just one of the times we um, uh, use Belvedere as a drinking game. Let's see if we can... <laughs> evade the guards tonight <laughs> right there's some level of excitement about that dude exactly. that, yeah, that yeah. star looks like you could have flipped like that's like i want to kill myself star that's going yeah, all the way from the base to the, the base of your thumb like that's a good like four inches yeah. how did you not context, uh, this, this I, I, I got lucky <laughs> oh my god okay andrew what was it that, that was a no-joke fence, too. I remember that yeah, fence. Yeah. It looked like it was constructed out of metal spears. Yeah. Like, the top of it was just, like, pronged, like, double double fork. Yeah. That's, a, that's a legit scar. I didn't know that's how you got that scar, Kyle. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> oh, my oh, God. So yeah, we thought drinking in the woods was fun, but drinking in Belvedere had a whole new yeah. a whole new layer of excitement. Too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Plus, we were much better at, uh, at avoiding uh, Belvedere Mooney co um, security than we were uh, the actual police. So, right, right, oh, right, right, yeah. Our yeah, um, the our the our bounty hunter uh, KJ, who is always <laughs> on our always trail, looking for us, always looking for <laughs> oh, us. Oh yeah! Oh my god! If there um, was a kid walking home from school, he'd be like, "Drop that bag," and he'd like listen for like a clank. See if there was like a bottle or whatever in there. And sure enough, he, he'd get a couple people on that one. Yeah. Um, for audience, let's just bring this back. So, environmentally speaking, there was a police department. There are no major department stores in Irvington. It is all residential, and then the homes are mansions. So it's a very small population. So the police department was literally had nothing to do. This is the the population is like lawyers and hedge fund uh, management and then and then their kids so basically the cops were hired babysitters basically <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um they knew us all by name like oh, that's oh, how sure. the, the police force knew our names our friend group was their their main um you know 
you know, the, we, we were their arch time. Yeah, we were their pastime. They were the, uh, yeah, they were the uh, antagonists of the story. Um, yeah. So yeah, I would definitely rather play like a hide and seek in Belvedere than hide and seek in Errington. Because right. yeah, KJ never could go on to Belvedere and Belvedere is a few acres. Right, yeah, that, that was, I never <laughs> so thought about that. That was probably the safest place for him. <laughs> So it's like there's either like hot zone here or hot zone there. One's like yeah. you'll get in trouble with the Moonies and the other's like you'll get arrested and sent to like Wardorf school. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's a throwback as well. Cool. Yeah. So um uh wow. Did you, just for questioning, because I'm curious, did, when you guys were at Belvedere, were you aware that Jesus's wife lived there? I do remember people joke like sarcastically like just pointing that out like oh yeah did you guys know jesus wife lived there yeah yeah oh yep she does yep like it was always in a joking manner <laughs> but yeah i i didn't really um you know i laughed and then didn't really give it a, another thought <laughs> until oh, i did maybe a little bit more research and like oh oh they legitimately do believe that <laughs> yeah so. this woman is married to a ghost the ghost of the holy spirit um <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, no, I heard the sex was phenomenal. <laughs> Better <laughs> otherworldly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was otherworldly. Yeah, so you guys saw that place too. Okay, very funny. Um, cool. Yeah, okay, it was so interesting because um, uh, the street I lived on was called Belvedere, and the uh, compound was also called Belvedere. So I remember there was a couple occasions where I would go to a friend's house, and I'd be like, "Oh, I'm over there on like Belvedere Lane or whatever," and then they just like go a bit silent and then be like are you are you a Mooney and I'm like oh no I just live right next to him and they, they would almost like second guess me they'd be like are you sure and I'm like yeah. I, I definitely know that I'm not but these are friends we went to school with was there like right a... yeah so non-Mooney friends so I would go over Wait. to like you know some random uh you know Catholic person's house and I would say where I lived and then it's like are you a Mooney? So this brings up a question. So you guys were kind of in the middle. Most of your friends were Moonies. Were there people that would avidly make sure not to be friends with Moonies? Um, I don't think avidly avoid them, but I think just generally their demeanor would not be inviting to them. So if there was a friend group where that thought they were weird, it was almost like, you know, in high school movies when you just know not to sit at that table yeah. or whatever. Yeah. It kind of came off that way. But I don't, I don't think anything directly you know, abusive or mean would come from anybody from that school. Um, but I'm only speaking from my perspective. Who knows? Yeah, I don't remember anyone. No, uh, yeah. I don't remember there being that. Not Did you have any experience like that? Because they're a Mooney, but. Uh, no, I think it was just a, a typical rich kid uh, attitude. Like, you're not rich enough to hang out with us. I think that's the only separation, uh, layer of separation that I experienced at Irvington. Yeah, I think uh, a bit of a, I, I guess you would call it snide or, you know, a, a little bit of snooty that that came with the territory of being in that environment. But yeah. again, I think that was universal to everybody. Not yeah, to that's exactly. right, that's, right, right, right. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a universal high school experience. I definitely felt some of that as well. Just, you know, kind of being like on the stoner end of things. It was just like, you know. I have a question. I was just curious, like, I, I know you like kind of um, talked about it um, at the beginning, but like, was was Irvington unique when it came to like how large 
the Mooney population was in Irvington. Like, are there other places in the U.S. where like such a large concentration of movie Moonies lived in like one town, one to one high school, or is Irvington kind of like an outlier? Um, Because I know you said in one of your previous podcasts that like like that DC was the Moonies, um, you know, kind of business center, and then then Tarrytown was the spiritual center, you know, at least in the U.S. Like, did Irvington Tarrytown have a big, significant, um, you know, pull in the Mooney community in the U.S.? Okay, so I can only spirit, uh, talk from my experience, but so in, in the University of Bridgeport, that was a compound pretty isolated. So that was a totally different experience. We owned that place. That was, um, so we were the majority. I did visit a few friends in Clifton, New Jersey and the New Jersey area. And I did actually shadow one of my friends in her high school. So the Mooney percentage may have been similar, but the uh, pride was definitely different. And so in, in New York, I think Moonies were much more prideful because we owned properties. We had a, a lot more influence in Irvington. Um, I think we could be more in the open about who we were in Irvington because it was a spiritual epicenter and because Reverend Moon owned, was respected, quote unquote, respected in that town as like an equal. He was like our, our, our daddy. And so like because of his status, we felt equal to you, to, to everybody. But in New, New Jersey, when I shadowed, it was like, shh don't tell anybody the Moonies, like keep it on the DL, like blend in. That was only from a couple of days of shadowing friends is that that's the kind of attitude I got in high school. Uh, and then, yeah. And then that, that's the only experiences I can talk to talk with about my high school, my high school experience. But I definitely remember uh, there's just being a more sense of pride because we would have youth nights. And do you guys remember that the Moonies would have youth nights on like Thursdays and we would get together on I, Saturdays. I remember you guys did a sports thing i remember seeing you guys have like a big thing at belvedere sometimes like it was something sports like. sports fest yeah every year sports fest. yeah 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 i remember seeing that um but yeah i, I can't remember that full like any other big events i remember um ha- happening in tarrytown irvington so do you guys remember uh having ultimate frisbee games with um unification church members like after school we would host a My lot God. of frisbee they games. were really good <laughs> they the were way, they, they got ups that's for sure <laughs> between yeah, I mean, um, ultimate frisbee and super smash brothers i don't think i've been demoralized in more <laughs> than with the moonies <laughs> And they, they had those two things on lock. <laughs> you guys know why, right? Tell me why. We're well, I mean, because <laughs> why? Because why? Well, if you devoid yourself of any sexual like expression, it tends to like flow into other. Oh, I skills. see. I got it. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> and also it was like peacocking because we couldn't get married until we were like eight, 17 18 um so you want to be the best at these things and like you know you could only marry another moonie so if you, if, if this guy's good at frisbee this guy's gonna want to get better at frisbee so it's like one right. to get the to get the the match right right yeah. it's a moonie mating call 
Yeah, basically, basically what you guys saw was like, dude, there was some sick Frisbee games, not gonna lie, but I, it was also like a, who are you gonna marry? Uh, <laughs> Peacock game. That's funny. Well, that's a lot of pressure for oh, a, yeah. a simple ultimate Frisbee game. <laughs> yeah, it, it was pretty fun. It was a really weird experience, but yeah, it was fun. Yeah, I remember uh, when we were friends, Renee, for the short time you were actually at high school, we would, uh, we would play ourselves a little bit of hacky sack once in a while in the yes. hallway. Oh Absolutely. Yeah. And that's kind of how you made friends. People would kind of jump in on the hacky sack game. You'd start talking to them a little bit and, you know, then group friend groups would expand a little bit and it just like ultimate Frisbee or, you know, any of those other games, you, you kind of solidified friendships in those um, circumstances. Um, I, I bring up Super Smash Brothers specifically because we went over to, um, I won't say his name, but we went over to a, a friend's house uh, on Main Street and there was like 13 Moonies there and me. And I was like, okay, well, let me just hang out. And by the end of it, I was laughing and getting on with just about every single person there. So it, it, was, it was a nice, you know, centralized moment of understanding. Yeah, just that there was um, this sense of community with every all the all the other Moonies, you know, in our high school that I um, admired, you know, that you guys had this almost kind of large family that to an extent looked out for each other, you you know. So I, I always a little bit envious of that, you know. So, I mean, there were weirdly some positive aspects that I, I looked at the Moonies with that I kind of wish, you know, I was like, that would be really cool to have all these people, like, you know, be in your corner if you ever needed help. But, you know, that was also back in high school. Now I know that it was, um, the dynamic was a lot different when you actually look at the inner workings of the church and, you know, the, the way the first generation actually yeah. controlled you guys and, you know, the dogma and um belief systems yeah. but but at least from like an outsider's perspective um initially it was like oh like you have this like this already built in large friend group you know yeah it seemed like you always you always had someone to hang out with at least <laughs> and that's true to to a level i i want right. i want to say that that's absolutely true until you get to like Yes, as, as soon as I moved to Irvington, I could fit in. I could just fit in like a jigsaw into this perfect structure, unless, unless, and that's if right. unless you're unless you're interested in the opposite sex, unless right. you're smoking weed on on lower, you know, whatever lower all, field. All of a sudden, those friends become like spies in East Germany. Yes. Fucking yeah. You know, so it's really nice. Like, yeah. Until. Yeah, I, I always thought about how that friend group, although tight-knit and a huge sense of community, just where the line was that you could actually talk to them about stuff because, and, and in a sense of things, you would have to always expect anything you said to that person would go right up the chain to, you know, a parent, maybe somebody in the church. And that's in its own way, uh, I don't know, some, I, I don't know the right way to describe it, but somewhat muting of you to actually build the foundation of a uh, you know really good friend group which is talking about very personal things it's like where's the line but talking about personal things when you when you're in a you know big friend group of people who may judge you to an extreme on having a different view or having a certain view yeah, yeah. and i you know um i was saying that like 
probably my first real understanding of um you know who the moonies were was like seeing that documentary and doing some research but um you know i'm not gonna say her name but like one of our close friends um you know i think this was like in junior year she was sent off to california for like half a year um by her parents because you know she was um being naughty <laughs> you know she was uh interested in the other sex and some of them were outsiders and she was sent oh, away like the only way um she could communicate with anyone was through letters so you know i remember writing to her and stuff so that was definitely the first time i was like okay this is not just like another form of christianity <laughs> this is this is um something this is something different yeah wow and, and you know why she could only write letters right because then the church could read them before they went out to make sure right. there's no craziness in there and then right. read the letters that we sent I'm, back i'm you sure know, yeah you know anything can happen on a phone call real quick you know hmm. but on a letter they you know redacted redacted it's like some world war ii stuff yeah no this is I mean, yes, I remember people being uh, taken out of school. Yeah, just for having a crush, having a boyfriend, like just some yeah. normal high school, normal human development stuff. But um, yeah, no, the level of control was insane. You could be completely taken out of your social circle and your environment, your support group and sent to these schools that were planted across the United States. And, and this one was probably called New Hope or um, something you know, I, I'm pretty sure I know who runs it, but I, I won't say it. Um, but yeah, no, I visited this school. And actually, I tried to visit this person if it's the same person I'm talking about. And because I was uh, a bad influence, quote unquote, um, I was at the school seeing my friend that I hadn't seen. I was visiting California. And I saw her. She came into the room and said, you have to leave. Like, you cannot be here. She kicked she, me out. You? Yes. Like, I We'll go back on the record. I think Jerry, this person named Jerry Tamayo ran it. Um, and it was called BTA, I want to say. That but sounds familiar. Sounds familiar, yeah. Yeah, sounds familiar. Something like that. I know they change school names all the time. This woman in particular had started this a uh, couple schools across the United States. She was constantly moving states. So I, I don't know, maybe some of my facts might be wrong, but she was a monster of a person. Like she was very abusive, very controlling. I think. I remember hearing stories of her making kids uh, fundraise and make product in high school. Like they're supposed to be in school, but they're being labor trafficked and not getting an education. Um, just, just a really backward situation. Like, why would you take somebody out of a good school like Irvington High School just for having a boyfriend to be sent to some abusive, extreme fundamentalist school? It's not better. Yeah. No. Yeah. Those tactics are crazy to me, but I shouldn't say crazy, but they're you know abusive for sure yeah and we're shedding light on this and and how did she how was she when she came back i i i, I gotta be honest i i don't think i really noticed that much of a much of a change i mean she still was there our you know in our friend group and she still hung out hung out with us i i have to be honest i don't really think it changed her that much <laughs> good good yeah. that's awesome which is good yeah so. Yeah, you did touch on something, Renee, that I kind of wanted to get a better understanding of. I think you would be able to shed a little bit of light on this. But when 
you know, individuals in the Unificationist Church are not pairing up and getting married. And I guess that's to some degree, they expect that to happen naturally throughout high school or throughout church events. Um, obviously, uh, in their way where it wasn't attraction, it was just like naturally they would couple up or parents would, you know, have a good opinion about a guy and be like, oh, you should match with this person or whatever. But you basically talked about uh, matchmaking situations where they kind of send them off to a camp or like a labor school or some sort of, you know, some sort of trip, um, excursion, what have you, to have, put them in a tight knit situation where they would kind of naturally match as well. Do, do you, are there, am I accurately describing those things or can you shed a little light on how those, like the tactics they use there and if they are true and all that good stuff? I mean, yeah, of course. So there are the fundamental rules that you can only marry inside the church and of the same generation. So of course we intermingle at camps and we get a name, we get a, we get the parents number. You can make suggestions to your parents. Hey, can you call these guys and, and see if we would be a good match? Yes, you can do that. Actually, that's how I found my partner the first time, the missionary programs, so the one-year missionary program. So I, I, you know, I knew this guy for a year, but technically we had only uh, done a 40-day condition together. And, and maybe did like three seven day camps. So I knew this guy a total of like 50 days before I was told my parents I want to get matched to him. And we got uh, blessed and matched in the church. So very crazy situation going back. I'm like, I only knew this guy for like 80, like I only spent like 50 days with this guy and we got married. That's fucking crazy. But yeah, you know, you would link up at workshops, blessing workshops, matching workshops. Uh, the parents have online web, web forums where they have our pictures, our hobbies, our interests. Um, and they'll match us according to that, our web profiles, like match.com. I think it's actually called matchbook.com and it's very hard. I was going to say it's the original Tinder. It's yeah. 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 And like, I, I remember just um, with the fun addition of parents. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when all of me and my brothers were getting matched, I remember, uh, these were like top secret manila folders that I would find in my parents room and there'd be pictures and pictures and pictures of like these half Asian kids and and their profiles and everything and I'm like this is fucking weird <laughs> like yeah so they, yeah you would go to workshops and get like a, a binder of like kids it was like sex trafficking it was like which one do you want to buy which one um because you can Race. only have you know you, this is your this is this is your options if it's only this thick you have to pick one like, even though there's billions of people in the world, one out of these hundred people is who your your kid's going to get married to. It's really weird. Um, and, and yeah, yeah. So we would, we would definitely be influenced by like the, the group gatherings, the national gatherings. And, and you would definitely have that mindset when you went to one of these like million family marches in Washington, DC, or if Reverend Moon had a, a speaking tour or an event, you definitely look around and be like, God, which one of these fuckers am I going to get married to? <laughs> Yeah. And, and then later in life, I mean, all those things sort of happen throughout your whole teenage years. Right. So later, if you're not being matched, like you start hitting like your 18, 19, 20, even early 20s. Would you like volunteer yourself to go on a program, basically like a paradise island or like I don't want to say like The Bachelor or something, but like some sort of reality TV show esque situation where you just be thrusted into a situation with a whole bunch of single people. And it's just like, OK, guys, uh -huh. figure it out. Because I've so definitely heard about situations like that. I, I haven't personally heard of a situation like that. I feel like that's really glamorized. And the reality is probably a lot more um, fair and, and sad than, than the glamorized right. 
Hollywood version. Um, yeah, no, if you hit 20, you could literally just send a picture in and you get picture matched, random, married to somebody across the world or, wow. I mean, it, it was really sad. It was, it's a lot like trafficking. Um, there's no, you can just give up and surrender. It's the test of ultimate faith, your entire future and just be matched at random. And it's, it's depressing. And people have gotten to a very like abusive or domestic violent situations because of this. Um, right. uh, like rape inside the church is a huge deal. Like get trafficked to somebody that you've never met through a picture. Uh, you get matched and blessed within so many days and months, and then you're expected to have family. And, and it's not, you don't know it's non-consensual because you signed up for it, right? You were groomed to sign up for this. So. And you so, have that, you know, bride and husband title, which is. You do. You because know, yeah. that all the time. Yeah. And, but it is still domestic abuse. It's still domestic violence and it's still rape. Like. Just because right. you're groomed to say yes doesn't you that you mean it. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's really heavy, you know, like to be put in that situation. I think trying to find a soulmate in life is already pressure enough, let alone when you're kind of, you know, you have a, a, a gun behind you, like get married, get married, you, you know. So it, it's, it, yeah. I can only imagine the pressure that, you know, they're under, especially with like time ticking away. So I, I don't envy that situation whatsoever. It's, it's, it's tough. And, and I think it, it, you can expand that on the Unification Church. That parallels in so many religions and right, so many, right. yeah, authoritarian family groups. So many different, even just this yeah. culture, and different cultures in general, you know, um, yeah. have the same kind of matchmaking arrangement arranged marriage um, scenario. Have to marry of the same race or the same religion. Yeah. Right. That, that yeah. Every culture, yeah. yeah. but Similar um, tactics across all religions, just varying in extremities. Yeah. Like, it, it's, yeah, it's sometimes, it's scary. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that did definitely happen. And, like, I, I'm sure you guys heard of the place we all go to in Champion. Have you guys seen people file off to Korea? So I, yeah, I wanted to ask, I remember in high school, so did you go to Korea, did, did you come to Irvington right after being in Korea, or did you go during high school and then come back? Oh man, that is such a good question, Kyle. I actually, <laughs> I'm really glad you asked that. Um, I don't know if you guys remember the year I got to Irvington. It was 2006. Okay. Um, and I was like super into sports. I was on the track team. I did pole vaulting. I did soccer and basketball. I did bowling that year that I got there. Cause I was so deprived of like educational, like an education system. Cause prior to that, I had been only in unification church systems and they didn't have any professional sports teams or clubs or actual academics. So when I dived into Irvington, I was all about trying everything and just being part of like a real academic situation. Um, and that was awesome. And I, and I was totally different. Um, but then that summer I turned uh, 16 going on 17, I actually went to Champyong and uh, there was a huge shift. So I had new, I had, I had, I don't know if you guys heard about Champyong but it's basically like a gulag internment camp for Moonies, I guess it's really Gosh. bare minimum. Like the pro, like they don't feed you meat. Um, you're climbing a mountain that's like four thousand feet three times a day. You're beating yourself with your hands. That, you're beating that other people. Part I remember one of our friends did go there. 
Um, and I do remember him telling us about the um, slapping. On to. Yeah. 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 So, and then you're being like, you're, you're only sleeping a few hours a day. You, you can only take showers twice a week. Um, so the rest of the day, time you're stinky and sweaty. There's not really any air conditioning. You just, I lost so much weight. Um, it's basically like an internment camp and it breaks you. They're constantly drilling you with theology, you know, like all hours of the day. So I was 16, 17. I actually had my first psychotic episode in Champion during an Ansu session. I like disassociated from my body. Like we were starting the singing and clapping and all of a sudden I was not in my body anymore because I was crying and crying. And then I was, it just, I disappeared from my body. I had my first psychotic episode. Um, so about 20 days into the program, there was a special day. It was like true children's day. It was some type of special church holy day. It wasn't true children's day. It was something, I can't remember. And they gave us the weekend off. They were like, you know what kids, you guys have worked hard enough. All the second generation, you can do whatever you want on Saturday and Sunday. So, I mean, this was a crazy opportunity. I was 16 years old. I had just lived in Korea for two years. I knew the Korean language. We were two hours away from Seoul. I had met all these new international kids. I was like, let's get the fuck out of here, guys. And they're like, wait, what? I was like, yeah, we can sleep at a sauna. Like I know Seoul, let's go to Itaewon. Let's go shopping. Let me show you like all the cool things about Korea. We're only here once, right? Let's go. So I literally led a group of like 15 kids and we're kids. So we're like, I think the youngest was like 13, 13, 14, 15. We're, we're escaping Champion. We go to the Champion hospital. We jump on the bus. We don't tell anybody we're leaving. Um, and we go, I take these kids to Seoul. I show them the dorm I grew up in. I, I, we go shopping. Everybody gets their belly buttons pierced. I got my tongue pierced. Oh my um, gosh. Oh yeah. We were wilding wow. out. Like while in Seoul, right? So <laughs> yeah, and I was like, this is true children's day. Like we deserve it. Like we're 20 days into the program. Fuck this place. So yeah, we have fun. I mean, I thank God the one thing Reverend Moon is totally okay with is belly button rings. So <laughs> oh no, no, we had to hide it. So yeah. so um <laughs> so yeah. So we have fun. We're like normal kids for a weekend. And then I get everybody back on the bus and we go back to Champion. And my God, the punishment was insane. First, first they, it took them a few days to find out who went. And like a telltale was like, my tongue was swollen and I couldn't eat. Like <laughs> I had a soul. So anybody with piercings automatically got, you know, called in. And then they, they eventually found out it was me and a few other goppies that led the group. Um, so they, took us to Daemonim, who was like the most important figure. And they took me to Impiopa, who was also one of the most the leaders, like the military disciplinary figures in Champyong. And they sit us down and they just berate us and like totally, totally break our spirits. They're like, you guys aren't trying. You're not, you're a second generation. You're wasting da, 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 da. And um, they give us all these conditions that we have to fulfill. And Daemonim looks at me and says, you need to stay another 40 days. And um, it was just really, it really broke me. Like, because I was like, I have been trying, like I've been trying for 17 years. Like I've learned the language. I just want to be accepted. I just want to be accepted in this group. Like I just wanted to have a good time. I wanted people to have fun. Um, but am I riddled with evil spirits? Like maybe I fucking, maybe I'm just worthless. Maybe I'm worth nothing. Maybe I should just kill myself. Like maybe I shouldn't even try anymore. Cause I, 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 I have this all written down. 
like I have my whole thought process. Like you could see a, a kid that was trying to have fun and be part of the group and just, you know, see people have a good time for once and then just completely broken these conditions that were set. And then she would attack my ancestor and my lineage. And she went further and further down the hole of just breaking me because of my belief system. So by the time that's, I got out of that, yeah, yeah. And then I got out of that place. I came back to Irvington and that's when I, oh, I came back to the United States um, and I got drunk one night because I was like just broken. Um, and I got sexually assaulted by another second generation uh, church member. Oh my gosh. And uh, I, I left, I thought, yeah, I thought it was my punishment. And um, while it was happening, actually their parents walked in and just walked out. And so I thought this is, this is my punishment. Um, so that's how senior year for me started. I was completely broken. And I think you saw the change started wearing black. I started smoking pot four to six times a day. I dropped out of all the sports teams, um, became really different. It's so impressionable. Like a, a 16, 17 year old, just, especially when you're, you don't have a support system around you. Like you didn't have a parent or a best friend or something like that. Just being berated like that. It, it hurts your soul, man. I, I can't even imagine. I'm you're, your, you know, your internal feeling of right and wrong is completely destroyed. It, yeah. I, I feel for you. I'm sorry that happened right now. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's happened to so many people. So I, I'm just recalling how it happened. But yeah, no, I, I, I feel like I have a, I have a couple emails corresponding with a friend that was like, this is what Damon M was talking about. Like I'm worth nothing. And then it was just a whole like year of self-medicating and uh, clinical depression and suicidal ideation. And, and that's when um, JK was like my best friend. And I think he saw some parts of that. And like, when I say he saved my, you know, he saved me, um, I mean it. Like he really was a solid person because at that time, because of what had happened, I fell out of the group of the Moonies. Like I wasn't really accepted. Mm -hmm. This is the exact moment I think we became friends too, because right. uh, I had a car, um, me and JK were, you know, fast friends. Uh, sorry, you might want to bleep out his name. But um, I, I recognized immediately his empathy because he, he was immediately detached from the church. He, he knew what he wanted immediately. And it was to have nothing to do with his family and his ties to the church. And he would be, you know, for example, we'd just go to McDonald's or something, go to the parking lot and just conversate about anything other than the church, you know let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do something fun. Let's do something fun. Uh, keep your mind off things like that. And he would for yourself and for other examples of Mooney friends that we had, he would always be trying to pull them away. Not exactly like grab their hand and have them run fleeing from the church, but Hey, like you're allowed to have these other thoughts. Hey, it's okay to have doubt. Hey, these things that the church are drilling into your brain, you know, you may be able to think for yourself a little bit more. And, and he really did provide an outlet to other Moonies to confide in him with confidence that it wouldn't be returned with like beratement or tattletailing or what have you. So, you know, he, he's a very special person for doing that. Yeah, he was very, very special person. Really, really special. And a huge part of that, that recovery that, that got me to be where I am today. Yeah. And between like, your, your life now with all you're doing, your beautiful, beautiful kids. I'm, I couldn't be happier with how you are right now. Your, your life, the life that you're living, the attitude you have, 
and your bravery for putting this kind of stuff out there. So kudos to you, Renee. Yeah, kudos. This is not everybody has someone like like JK, and you know, at that at that moment, you know. So if this helps, you know. Yeah. Yeah, just somebody to constantly just to listen and to accept you. And I mean, he was always down for whatever adventure we get into. Uh, and like you said, just loyal friend uh, with no expectations, just accepting and loving person. Um, who would who took a lot of heat for Mooney's? Honestly, he was that guy. Um, like if something went bad, they would be like it was his fault, and and he was okay with being that person. Uh, and a fucking. Wow, I wish it wasn't so terrifying to be um, yourself in Irvington. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a good way to put it. You know, no no one's taken so much uh, of life on the chin and just bounced back with you know unending positivity, unending empathy. You know, at, at the end of the day, you can you can take a lot of hits and then just be like the world's against me. But he never, he never strayed. He always was, came from a place of empathy, good friendship and, you know, support. So couldn't love him more. And if he's listening to this, I, I hope you're tearing <laughs> up because uh, I am. <laughs> yeah. Like just the amount of empathy he showed as a 16 year old kid. Cause that's when I met him. Um, just still blows me away. Like the amount of, of empathy and understanding. And he, he knew I was Mooney. We were both Moonies, um, but he never tried to persuade my faith just was an authentic person um because I don't think we had language for that we couldn't we couldn't talk about and we never did talk about the church we mostly bonded through art and experience yeah yeah so based off of that did you did you and Kyle um do a lot of art um centric things I know Kyle had a great painting of you guys all uh you know like wrapped up together that was a great painting Oh, that I, I wasn't that, in there. He wasn't in that one. No, I wasn't okay, in that, that one. Cut that. <laughs> that, that, was, that, that was another movie. <laughs> oh, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, so me and Kyle were, uh, I, we met in the art department, right, Kyle? Yeah. Um, me and so, yeah, we were in the art department. I, at the time, was really closed off with my verbal communication. And so I remember just drawing all the time. And Kyle was one of the first people to be like, hey, my name's Kyle. Like, we should do an art project together. We should collaborate. And we went on that venture where we took all those photos and that rusty. Yeah, I, I, I don't, it was somewhere on the border of like Irvington, Tarrytown, like in the woods or something. I, yeah. I don't really know where it was. I, I, I probably have drank there a bunch but at the time i i don't think i knew where it was <laughs> yeah either way i saw kyle every day in the art department and uh i know you were a year younger so i wasn't i wasn't really that vocal i didn't really talk that much but we did um bond i think especially for like the art show yeah yeah like for me you def you definitely were the first like mooney i was friends with and we you know we talked a little bit about about the church but at that point, I still really wasn't um, that informed, probably not until I became friends with some other people, um, you know, a few months later or, or whatever. But I think, yeah, you definitely were like the first. I mean, I remember you telling me about Korea. I do remember that. No so way. Not, not like 
in depth, but like you did say you you had just come from Korea and stuff. So like that was definitely like <laughs> different compared to everybody else in <laughs> in Irvington. So yeah. Wow. Obviously, I, I you know at the time I wasn't aware of everything you went through in in Korea and, and what you went through when you first got back to you know the U.S. But like um, in past like podcasts, you were talking about that you were mostly sheltered off with other Moonies. So was Irvington kind of like the first time you had like formed real relationships with outsiders and also like what 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 was the church's stance on outsiders like were we like I mean obviously you couldn't have like you know relation like you couldn't date outsiders you definitely couldn't marry an outsider but like was it like generally accepted that like, well, you can be friends with them? That's such a good question. Absolutely. Was the first time I made friends with outsiders? Yes, absolutely. And the first time I realized that you, also, had- you, you became friends with like the best kind of outsiders. Yes, friends. the best. Yes, I did. <laughs> um, so, so until I made friends with outsiders, I really didn't think y'all were that complex. I, I thought people were just like, yeah, no, I thought other people were like not even real people. <laughs> yeah no I'm not gonna lie about it I was like yeah they're all just lemmings with no souls like they're lost I mean that still can be debated but yeah <laughs> um, no but then in Irvington yeah I totally discovered the complexity and the equality of humans in general and was like what the hell has everybody been talking about um, but my friendship with outsiders was viewed definitely as almost a waste of energy by my my peer by my peer group, I think it was like, why would you invest so much in your outsider friends when you could be investing in church friends? Mm-hmm. Kind of was what I felt like my stepmother was thinking. She was definitely more happy to let me go bowling with like Moonies compared to like outsiders. Like just just the look of excitement would be there instead of like the look of dread for sure. And then in some way, like if you did hang out with outsider friends, it was almost like your parents viewed you as like a spiritual cleansing. They were becoming pure by proxy of being close to a second generation. And then and then school dances. Uh, I think I went I think I went to one of them with you. Well, not with you, but you were there, Kyle. Those that, that was interesting. I was only allowed to go to one because my mom didn't know about it. It was homecoming. Oh, wow. Maybe, um, yeah. But then when prom came around, like no rights to prom. No, did, did you guys see any of us go to prom? I think the only people that went to prom from the Mooney community were people that had like long-standing Mooney and Mooney relationships. Right, you know? right, right. People right. that were boyfriend and girlfriend that were both from the church. Yeah. Um, oh. They, yeah. yeah. Wait, people were already yeah. matched and paired up? Like they were already Yeah. Paired? Um. Oh. I agree. Well, okay, so back on the record, um, there was people already matched in high school. Like, that's crazy. So, I, again, I've, I've always been kind of confused with the match system, but, like, they were definitely, like, you know, planning on getting matched, um, mm-hmm. you know, after high school at that point. 
Yeah. And and you have to remember it's a cult. So the standards of matching and blessing are constantly changing because it's just bullshit. They're trying to rattle off as, as a, a system. Right. I think it's important to mention that I don't think any of these relationships are still going on. <laughs> oh, they are well, not. Yeah. At least the two we just mentioned, they are not. No. Oh, okay. The two you mentioned, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, your kids, you, you just want to date. And if there's a way around right. it that still satisfies the system of theology you believe in, then yeah, okay, we're going to get right. it. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and naturally, as a teenager, you're, you're, you're going in that direction. You know, you're starting to, you're having a human experience that everybody else is too. You know, not that they're all the same, but it's all similar in the fact that like you're becoming your, you're becoming your full self. And what does that mean? It means you have attraction to whatever sex you prefer. It means that you have interests that, you know, expand past the church. And at the end of the day, it's like you're, you're growing into a more complex being. So. And, and I do want to just point out, let, like anybody that was matched, you have to think their parents are consenting for them to get married at 16, 17, 18. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they're usually ecstatic about it. They're like, oh, my God one less thing to worry about you know yeah that's so weird like you you shouldn't be making any lifelong decisions about who to marry at that that age so even though they they officially like you know work the system it's still it's just a it's a messed up system yeah when yeah. when you were matched and blessed wh where were you blessed where did you go to korea or was it in new york city or yeah, good question. Um, so yeah, you could do virtual tele tele uh, blessings, but yeah, it originated. Oh. Yeah, so I um got matched in the labor trafficking program in OLT that I was in. I knew my spouse for that was a total of California. I mean, uh, Australia. Uh, Australia. So I went to Australia yeah. after high school. So I went there. I did a forty day condition with him. By the end of the 40 day, we like noticed each other and we're like, hey, maybe we'd be good together. Um, throughout the rest of the year, we would go, we went our separate ways on different conditions, like fundraising in different parts of Australia. But we'd meet back every 40 days um, for our workshop and then, you know, went back to America. We were officially matched. Um, a year later, there was a blessing that Reverend Moon was hosting and there was an immense pressure to get blessed by Reverend Moon. I didn't feel like I was ready to get married because I had known this guy for, you know, I've only seen him for a handful of days. Um, we didn't really know each other. We never met each other's families. We never met each other's friend circles. We never even visited each other in our own hometowns. Like he was from the South and I was in Maryland um, at oh. the time. So I didn't feel like I was ready to get blessed, but there was so much pressure from my dad and my community because Reverend Moon, it might've been his last blessing. He was 90. Um, you know you need to get blessed by the messiah you need to you know go get married so i actually did go to the blessing in 2010 so i was just turned 20 at the time and um it cost me everything i had to to go to korea and to attend the blessing um and when i came back to maryland i ended out on the streets i ended up living out of my car together and no, he went back to Georgia and I just, I, I wasn't ready to wow. go to Georgia. I wasn't ready to get married. I, I, um, but I got the blessing. I like grabbed it like a token while I still could from Reverend Moon. Wow. And it cost me everything. So uh, it was really rough after that. Sure. So how long did it take to realize that this wasn't working? And that's when a split happened. Did you guys go through the church? Well, he, after 
three years. Um, so we had a long distance relationship, super toxic because I was suicidal and um, I needed a support system. I didn't have my parents. I didn't have my family. I was kind of a fringe member anyway. I was homeless. Um, so I was toxic and, and he did his best. We had no his, we had no experience with relationships, period. So, I mean, I thought I was so devoid of love my entire life. I was like, okay, this person's been promised to me. Like, this is the forever cosmic blessing. God's in between it. Like, this is going to be good. Um, and I just didn't know how to approach the relationship in a way that would be healthy. But we tried to make it work long distance. Before we broke up, I moved to Georgia and got an apartment, uh, worked as a pizza person and um we tried to make it work and after another year I think it was just obvious that we were toxic he was ready to leave the church he wasn't as devout as I was or dependent on this church as I was for validation and, and love and stuff so we broke we broke off and went our separate ways just because how was it supposed to work if you have no marriage you have no relationship experience I was you know in a really bad place anyway he yeah it just looking back it makes so much sense um, yeah it's it's almost destined to fail stuff like that and uh th and i feel like for every religion it's like the idea is you know you magically don't have any attraction to the opposite sex and it's like okay get married and have a family it's like you know you can build friendships and you know learn social cues and stuff like that from friendship but until you're in a relationship and you feel love or whatever you think is love and stuff like that you, you can't just be handed it as a first time go with all these huge implications like marriage and families and devout lifetime commitment. I think that's unfair, especially at the age group you guys are trying to do it. You're still kids at 17, 18. I don't care who you are. If you're 17, 18, you're, you're still a kid, you know? But yeah, some of the things that I can name off just to give you some examples is like, I had no idea what intimacy looked like, emotional intimacy or physical right. intimacy. Uh, I had no idea what just being authentic and, and communicating needs looked like. Right. Uh, he healthy relationship takes so many forms, but figuring it out after you're married is somewhat of a uphill battle to say the very least. It's um. You know, you build compatibility. You don't force compatibility. So yeah, it's, it's interesting event. Well, I'm I'm very happy to hear that you're still with us, though, because I know how difficult it must have been through all that time. And you're you're no stranger. Uh, not your situation is no stranger to somebody who's suicidal. Um, we have countless examples of that. But I'm glad that you're still with us. Yeah. Back on the record, at the time that I was suicidal. The, the, per, the group that I depended on, which was the Unification Church, was nowhere to be found. They were, there was no, nowhere for them to support me in, in my uh, journey because I was no longer producing or being subservient. I was no longer useful in my depression. They didn't care about me. Right. It's like, it's like they're putting this investment in to some sort of you know, you're just like a pawn on their on their chessboard. It's like, okay, let's let's keep this moving until it becomes a problem. And it's like, okay, when's the where's the next pawn? Where's the next person we can keep pushing along to our you know storyline and our needs? And it's just it's despicable. Yeah, and it you know um, it happens in you know so many of these um, 
religious organizations, you know, de definitely, you know, I've, um, my, uh, back in the sixties, you know, I'm, I, I, I come, I was raised Catholic. Both my parents are Catholic and, um, uh, my dad's, um, dad committed suicide, um, in the late sixties. And, you know, instead of the Catholic church stepping up and helping the family, he was shunned and their family was shunned from the community because in their eyes, uh, suicide was a sin oh and, my God. You know, and they like lost support. And it's like the, the one time when you need the church church, um, you know, closes, closes their doors on you and it's just you know so despicable and uh because what's the point of of all of it if you can't help um you know um a, a member you know in need you know definitely when that just because it doesn't fit into the dogma of um of that organization and it's like you know, yeah. Oh, that's really, that's a really strong point. That's, uh, I, I mean, I think across all religions, suicide is looked as one of the most selfish sins. And yeah, and, and so, weak and, you know, you know. Even in media, uh, what dreams may come, they, it depicts the suicidal wife as in the bottom of hell. And, and that's just like a really popular stigma. And I think you couldn't have said it better. It's like, that's when the family and the person needs the organ, the religion and the support group the most, but you are ostracized and you're cut off. And what is that? What's the point? Yeah. That attitude about it, that, you know, immediate cutoff, that shunning that, you know, that negative attitude toward these sort of situations, it's all just derives from a sense of control. And I have a very strong opinion on religion in general that it's, you know, it came from a place of good nature, possibly. I don't think we all really have a firm grasp about where all religion and everything derived from because it's ever changing and, you know, evolving to whatever the times are. But at the end of the day, just like saying what sins will get you to hell saying do right and wrong is like fine for me, like right and wrong is fine. But when it comes to, you know, personal decisions and the general aspect of being part of something or you're out, it's all just a tactic of control. And you've probably talked about this at lengths on your podcast, but it, it really, I really do think it, it's part of all religions. Like just at the end of the day, they just want control. They, they have unanswered questions. They throw some BS out there and then make sure that everybody believes it. And if you don't, you're out control. It's sad and scary. Yeah. And yeah. it's a facade. I mean, we are people with complex feelings. Um, I think in the unification church, there was this term, don't have give and take with that person because they're in the bad place. If you have give and take with them, then that energy is going to grow and you're going to get suicidal too. It's like a virus. Um, it's basically how it was looked at. And, and that, whole, that whole attitude needs to change. Yeah. I think um, we, we were talking about it a little bit before we started, like the access to information and how ignorance is one of the most 
is one of the strongest tactics of control. It's like, it's like North Korea. Like if they think that they're having a great life, if they don't know what the outside looks like, then it's very easy to be content. But because I asked earlier, but like how much influence does the lack of outside information and now with technology the way it is and the access to information the way it is like are you hearing from people just saying like man a quick google search and all of a sudden my whole life has been unraveled or you know a quick listen to your podcast and wow you these are some of the extreme experiences that i've experienced and i always didn't think they were as wrong as they were they obviously you know never feel right when you're getting beaten or berated but you know I, I think uh, that access to information plays a key role in keeping people in line. So back in the day, 2008, yes, there was access to information, but my internal belief system filtered any of that out. It was just Satan attacking and it wouldn't permeate my, my layer of faith. It was a test of faith. So it didn't matter. Even if I did have information, it wouldn't have affected me. But now like you said, I am actually getting a lot of people messaging me every other month, every month that they're getting out there, that they're getting the access to these podcasts. And I think what it is, is these personal stories and these, these, these names and these faces that go with the stories and the history and the evidence is piling up to be undeniable. Um, and so people are, are escaping and waking up in droves. So yeah, I, I get a new a new person saying, wow, I was on the fringe and now I, I really think this group is corrupt. Like every month I get somebody coming out. So I think um, with the access to information now, that's the resources. I mean, you've probably seen so many uh, ex-moonies starting to tell their story and um, articles are being written because of these stories being told. Um, Vice News is, is writing article after article. QAnon podcast is writing article, like dropping episodes. Sanctuary Church is on Twitter. Um, so the Moonies just, there's a lot of attention and focus on, on the Unification Church right now. So it's like undeniable. You can't say that these uh, stacks of abuse stories are just one case, one scenario, one person's experience. It's right. almost a shared experience. Uh, you should be so proud of the medium that you put out to have people reach out to you. Even one person would be an incredible, you know, accomplishment to, you know, be like, oh, wow. Like I was fringe, like you said, and then to have the courage to like lean into the, I don't want to call it the correct belief, but lean into the reality belief. That's, that's awesome of you, Renee. I'm, yeah. I, I think it's awesome. Just, yeah, freedom of thought, just freedom of thought, because you, when you're in such an extreme belief, like you lock your little, your inner voice into a, in, in a box. And you, and like you said, your internal dialogue just filters, you're like, oh, that, like you said, you, you have this perspective that's always been the lens that you see the world in. And then when you, you know, take a step back and listen to other people's stories and, and, you know, relate to them, it's powerful. It's, it's yeah. It really is strength in numbers when it comes to something so vast and huge, like the Unificationist Church. It's, right. it's enormous. It's it's scarily enormous. That and like Kyle said when he was going to the research of like how much they actually own and how much influence they have in the world and even influence on just like politics and stuff like that. Yeah. It's scary. Or or just a piece of su sushi. Yeah. yeah. That, Two world foods. That was that was always like the one of the craziest things i 
I found out that almost like every piece of sushi any American eats has, you know, come from. It's a good chance it went through the 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 Unification Church. And, and there's a reason for that. Reverend Moon wanted to monopolize the seafood industry. He wanted to own the resources to the sea. Um, so he made a po- point to make good go boats. He made a point to make true world foods, to labor traffic members, to give their life for these companies to be successful. Uh, and then to gaslight members into thinking the church was going broke when they're making millions and millions of dollars. The, the Moon families is riding all the way to the bank on these members' families. The church still thinks they're going broke, but they're not looking at the profits of these companies or or the net worth of Hawk Jahan Moon in the billions. Um I think it was like 3.3 billion when I last looked. They still think the church is going broke. They still think they have to give everything. Um, And they're not looking at the net worth of the Moon family. Yeah, that that makes me think of two points. One, I I don't remember if you said it in a podcast or we just were talking about it at one point. But I think you mentioned, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the Moon family, the the daughters and sons of Reverend Moon, all have this immense profit coming toward them, but they keep their net worth under at 900 million and not a billion just to keep off of that billionaire list. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If you look at the, like Reverend Moon was like 900 million net worth. Um, All the kids at one point had like 900 million in their name, um, just right under the billion mark. And they keep their assets spread. So you, you can't, it's really hard to uh, pinpoint exactly which companies are through who, because I mean, like Paradigm, for instance, was um, Bohe Pak's son's company. And that's like a $20 million hedge fund establishment on Wall Street. You wouldn't just look at it and be like, oh, it's Mooney. That's right. Mooney money right, right there. Of course not. Yeah. Wow. Or like the Karov Dance Academies in Washington, D.C. Or, some, you know, all these dance academies, these ballet companies, you wouldn't think. Those are no. no, you wouldn't. So it's just it's spread up upon thousands of different businesses, but they're all Mooney fronts. Yeah, and I can only imagine how difficult it is to track that money. You know, for a publicly traded company in the U.S., it's like okay, they give up all their financials, blah blah blah. They have to be audited, all that stuff. But even a church in America has all these sanctions or uh, all these, you know like lack of tax li- um, interest or, um, responsibilities or whatever the churches don't need to show like their profits and stuff. So I can only imagine how it looks when at the end of the day, these companies are being owned by a church, but also one that's international. Yeah. Oh, that's the, that's the key. That's the, the hook line and sinker. It's international. They're, they're laundering yes. money internationally. Who's going to follow them? Is there an international security on one of their 501 C sevens? I believe the, the reason they're a 501 their, their nonprofit is because it says international security is it's not religion or Christianity it's international security wow um, wow I'd love to know which company that was yeah uh yeah I mean I can I can link it all but yeah so it's 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 obvious something is going on that's criminal um, oh it's all just absolute corruption and and that's and that's every religion but it we're, we're talking about this specific religion so you know, at the end of the day, all these examples of fronts, as you as you um, mentioned, they're just it's, it's almost too obvious not to notice. It's 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 so obvious. Yeah. So if there's any members listening that are on the are on the brink, like just follow the money. Start looking at what the 501c titles are and and what what they're really collecting money for. Um, and yeah, just start digging a little deeper financially and you'll you'll see money talks. Yeah. I, I would be. 
you know, I'd like to say that, you know, you should always make your own decisions when it comes to your belief system and your values and all that kind of stuff. But to have values without data or without, you know, having some backing to that, you know, you, you should have a fundamental understanding about why you feel a way about something other than somebody told me so, or I was just always done it that way. Like you, you have a responsibility as a human to, if you're going to live and die by something that you believe in, you should have the, you know, not be scared to look at all the, all the angles, all the aspects and see all the information possible. So you can make the most important decision for yourself. Yeah, and I I, I want to say like that that does apply for all all religions because um, just because your family's always been in it or it's just your culture. I mean, I, I see the Unification Church turning into a legit New World religion at this time, and that's why I want to be so loud about it because there is a time when a cult do a New World religion. And that's I think that's what we're seeing here. All right. I mean, you guys are are even having your own little. Re- reformation at this point where there's yeah you know but yeah. once once a cult starts having their own um I- internal divisions that's when you know you you've hit uh, a certain marker you know <laughs> okay so for for that question on the international peace and security they had to put the word peace in but the interreligious federation for world peace which is a 501c3 that's collecting profits non non-tax um, it's located in Terrytown, New York. Oh, oh, weird. <laughs> okay, so you can you can look up Interreligious Federation for World Peace, location Terrytown, New York. Classification: International Peace and Security, and it wow. is the IRS subsection of a five hundred one c three. So if that's not telling enough, the place where we played uh, drunk hide and go seek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great is, way to put it. <laughs> yeah is yeah is like the epicenter for international it's the hub for international security and money laundering for the unification church yeah let me um let me ask you a couple questions real quick while we're talking about properties so yeah um we mentioned a number of properties that are owned by the unificationist church in our hometown namely used for you know residency of its members and um but there was a compound uh, like a 10-story huge compound that housed um, one of Reverend Moon's sons, I believe. Is, is that right? So that compound, I, I've been told many a thing about this compound. So I want to know if you've ever been there and if it's true that like one of the floors is like just a bowling alley and one of the floors is just a gym. And this place is supposed to be an immense, huge, fantastic compound. I was just curious if you've ever been there and could vouch is for any of that. But yes, I have been to East Garden for one of Reverend Moon's speeches. That was his family home. And from what I remember, I was only allowed on one floor because they barred off the other floors. Hmm. But one of the floors had a pond in the dining room. There was like a waterfall with koi fish. This is in the oh. dining room. Wow. Oh my gosh. Um, and there was like ginseng roots, like three feet long. And those things are super expensive, like $600 a pound i want to say um in these jars yeah something like that so you guys would make something with ginseng right there was like a drink yeah ginseng yeah 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 Yeah. was it alcoholic no 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 no. yeah yeah i I just remember stealing one of the bottles 
<laughs> back in the day i think thinking it it was like wine or something but yeah <laughs> no just just disgusting soda <laughs> yeah it was just soda right right Super gross. <laughs> like stop trying to make ginseng up work it's not gonna work it's fucking disgusting yeah. <laughs> that is crazy though coin pond in the in the dining room that that's uh, how you know you made it just uh yeah you've got yeah. you've got a legit waterfall with like koi fish like in the floor like that was like the floor and then we cut off and there was like a pond badass. I, don't, I don't know if you remember Renee. i remember i have a memory of smoking cigarettes with, with you and esther by east garden there was like a you could like drive up behind it and there's just like this weird field like almost looked like a parking lot that then just became a field but you could like see into east garden i remember smoking cigarettes there with you guys <laughs> but no, that's I like was prob- as, as close as i got to east garden yeah i was probably really high but i remember making yeah. it a point to, like smoke cigarettes on the property to be like right. fuck you guys <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> in in my cognitive dissonance like my anger still poured through yeah that was yeah. like one of the big yeah big things oh right and i i i'm looking at like my, my list of things oh. so my uh um my journey to camp sunrise oh shit <laughs> yeah <laughs> probably that's probably the closest like as that's as far deep as I got into um, into the church. I think that's a good place to stop. Um, thank you guys for listening. This has been a pretty long episode. Tune in next time to hear Kyle's top secret mission into Camp Sunrise and how he realized this is not just a regular church. Catch you next time. Mm-hmm.